Good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm glad that God gave us something to do worthwhile whilst we were here on this earth spinning around the sun. We can build his kingdom and saturate this valley with the gospel. Pretty awesome. And I'm glad that you're here being part of that. And today we're completing our series on throne room where we remind ourselves exactly why we get to do this because we have a powerful king on a throne. And uh, so far in this series, we've gotten to go through and, and see the, uh, the visions of, of God's throne room that we found in Scripture. The different uh, prophets have seen God's throne room, and they had those apocalyptic visions. They got, were taken in the Spirit and saw spiritual things that are pretty profound, uh, amazing. We started uh, about a month ago, if you can believe it, with Ezekiel and that amazing mobile throne, uh, that room of God uh, that, that he got to see with all the, uh, this chariot and throne room and coming down from the north and uh, those wonderful beasts all of creation. He's able to travel everywhere and that God's authority stretches everywhere in the world and he could come from anywhere at any time because God is in control here on earth. Pretty wonderful. And then we got to go before his throne room in heaven with Isaiah and his throne room, which was filled with glory. And he had that long train of victory, of glory that, that Isaiah got to see and, and uh, the holiness of God that was exhibited there. Isaiah got to see that God truly is holy, holy, holy. And he rules in that holiness and he's different. And then last week, we, of course, went through with John, the apostle and Revelation and the amazing throne room of God as he sits over all of creation, where all of creation stands before him and testifies that he is holy and he is different. And he was the God who was and who is and who is to come, that all things were made by him as creator. And yet surrounded by the, the church and the 24 elders who lay down their crowns and worship him. And the reminder that just because God is holy and different, creation can't help but see that he exists and he's good. But oftentimes, they fail to worship him as such. And yet, for those of us who do, what a gift that we have, right? And today, we're going to talk about how even greater that gift is, because uh, we're going to finish up, but not with the apocalyptic vision. Uh, we're going to go now into the New Testament book of Hebrews, where the mysterious author, whom I think might be Paul, but no one knows, has an inspirational message for us about God's throne and yet how we approach him. Not to these terrible, terrifying thrones that we've seen before, but to a much friendlier one. And we're going to talk about that today. And in fact, it comes back to our memory verse, which we've had for this entire series. And I hope that you've had some time to set it onto your heart and into your mind, and you've been thinking about it today, we're actually going to go into the Word and, and really exegete this and get down to it. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. But I haven't had you do this this entire series yet, but would you just say this with me one time? Here we go. Three, two, one. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 16. Isn't that amazing? Now, let's get into that as to what that means. If you have your Bibles, would you please open them to Hebrews chapter 4, to the New Testament. It's at the end of Paul's letters because we don't know quite who wrote it because it was written in a time of great persecution, so the author couldn't put his name, <laughs> right? Because it would put him and everybody else in danger. Uh, so that's where it is. 
And uh, it's an important book. Um, Now, all of these throne rooms that we have came to God's people, including this one then, at times of crisis. Ezekiel writes when he was in captivity, right, and was wondering what is God going to do. (laughs) Isaiah writes when God's people were getting ready for judgment and wondering, it seemed like the faith and everything was falling apart. Revelation happened when the last living apostle is stuck on an island wondering, what's God doing? Why are you coming back quickly and yet it's taking so long? And the church was in crisis. And so this message comes to us in crisis as well as the Hebrew church was facing horrible persecution. The, the, the Roman emperor was persecuting not just Christians, uh, but, but killing them, and it was, it was a pretty violent, terrifying time. It was a time that just showing up at church could cost you not just your life, but a horrible torture until then, and uh, it, was, it was a brutal time. But if you were Hebraic Christian, if you were Jewish, it was, a, it was a doubly bad because you were following your Messiah, and there were many in the, that were in charge of the synagogues and things of the time who didn't recognize Jesus as Messiah, and if you followed your Messiah then it meant losing oftentimes your entire community of support, your friends and your family and all of the, and you would have people whom you knew in the past who would be ready to rat you out to the authorities to say, this one is one of those Christians that we're persecuting. It was a terrifying time. And so God has this letter written to the people, the Hebrew Christians, to remind them why it's important that we don't walk away from Jesus, especially when times are hard. And if you find yourself in a time of crisis when things aren't just perfect, these messages, God's throne room is for you. It's important for us to remember who we serve. And I think this speaks very deeply to us. And so in this book, in Hebrews, God reveals that he's, he's better than all of the things that came before better than the law, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Abraham, right? He's, Jesus is better than everything. In fact, he's the fulfillment of all of our hopes and dreams. And basis, on the basis of who Jesus is, we read in verse 14 in there, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess. That Jesus is better than just the earthly high priest's we have one that's even better than that. And, and he talks about uh, why that is. So let's go back to those other throne rooms. Ezekiel's throne was on earth, right? It was that mobile throne all over. But then Isaiah and, and also in Revelation, where is God's throne? Where does God seated in authority? Heaven. Right? That's an important thing. And yet the high priest, he would bring an offering and he did his service. Where? Earth. That's as far as he could go. Now, he could go to the Holy of Holies. They were going to talk about that. That's pretty close. But we have a high priest who is actually able to go to God himself, which is pretty superior. And not only is he ascended to heaven, he is also God the Son. So he's pretty close with God, right? Which gives us reason to hold to this. Why go back to a faith that relies on human priests? when you have access to God. Now, in the next verse, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
sometimes I think for us, we think, well, if God, if you only knew how bad this hurt, if you only knew what it was like to be in doubt or in fear or, or you know, to, to have hunger or to worry about how am I going to pay the next bill or, right, or I've got family members who are just difficult or I've, I live in a corrupt world with a corrupt government and, and facing difficulties. If you've ever wondered, you know, or thought to yourself, God, you make it so hard for us. It's hard to follow you because my life is difficult. Guess what? God understands because he experienced it fully. And I like how it says here, he empathizes with our weakness. He doesn't just sympathize, he doesn't just say, well, I get it, it's pretty hard and I feel bad for it. He felt the, the pain of the struggle of living in this broken paradise profoundly, right? And he was tempted just like you and me. The thing that I find is interesting is that he went through all of the temptation and didn't fold which is something that none of us can claim that we've done perfectly. Now, there's areas in our life that we face down temptation, but realize that once you give in to sin, the temptation kind of stops, doesn't it? But Jesus understands the full weight of temptation. He let it run all of its course, and yet he did not give in to it. He understands. He understands. Then this is why it's important for us to recognize that, that Jesus doesn't just represent God perfectly to us as a great high priest, he, as that wonderful intermediary, but he represents us perfectly to the Father. Perfectly. He understands us. Now, we do have a problem, though, is that Jesus was without sin, and yet we do have sin. We've given in. And in the John, who wrote Revelation, he, he writes in one of his epistles to the church early on in his ministry. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Like, the word of God is very clear that none of us are without sin, and I'm glad that it tells us that because it gets us around any of the people who would try to deceive themselves and us by acting like they're perfect. So you can look around this room, and nobody's perfect. Isn't that nice? Right? In heaven, we'll all be perfect, and that'll be nice too. That'll be nicer. But because I'm not perfect, I'm glad to know that every one of us have our own failings, that it's important. Like, there's a reason we take communion before I begin to preach, and part of that is we want to remind ourselves of, of our weakness for God and our need for Him, but it's also that great leveling point. There's no one in this church that's better than anybody else in this church, that we all have our place in God's kingdom only by His grace and His mercy and his goodness. And so, we, we see that uh, our God knows exactly what it's like for us. He didn't sin, but he felt the weight. And way we have in this, then, we, we recognize that we've all sinned, and we know that, that Jesus is a great high priest, which is a wonderful thing, but um, we still have to go before God's throne of judgment, don't we? That's still terrifying for us. In Romans 14, uh, 14, 12, it says, Paul says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God, every one of us. You have an appointment before God. What are you going to do? Because we're guilty. And guilty people don't like seeing judges because it doesn't work out well for them. It's a hard place to be, right? And so we have a problem. And when we look at God's throne of justice, when you look at Isaiah, when he was before the throne, and all the angels saying, holy, 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 and what was his response? I'm doomed, because I'm not holy. 
I'm not so much holy. And that's this terrifying thing. And to recognize the reality is that each of us will have our appearance. And we're going to go and to see God. And it's the date set for us. And what do we do? Well, speaking of uh, to the to the Pharisees in, in his ministry, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about this, they were, they were very close to committing a very bad sin, which is a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? They were saying, here is God the Son, and here he is, and all of these works that God the Son is doing are undeniably God. We're going to say they're from Satan. That's, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit is the, is the devil's. And Jesus is like, that's, that's bad news. Don't do that. And then he talks about this reality that we're going to have to face God for what we've done. And he goes and gives us an understanding that we don't just stand before God, but how thoroughly God will examine our lives. And he goes to say, but I tell you, everyone will have to give an account, every one of us, on when? The day of judgment. That's the judgment seat. That's the, the throne of God and his justice. And what do we give account for? For every empty word they've spoken. And if we have to give account for even every empty word, then there's every, everything else that we've done too. That's the argument. That every little thing that you and I have done will be brought out and examined by God before the throne of judgment. And at the throne, the guilty will be condemned. That's the way it works, because God is just. And all of us are guilty. And so we have a problem, because we have to go before this throne, and how are you going to represent yourself before this holy God? Well, even before a court, right, you, you recognize if you're going to go before a judge, most people don't represent themselves before a judge. They spend as much money as they can to get the best lawyer they can because whoever represents himself has a fool for a client. We just know that, right? Look what it says here about that who is our advocate. It, John writes again, My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, <laughs> really, if anybody sins, all of us, we have an advocate with the Father, that you got a lawyer, that you have an attorney in heaven before that throne, and who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the great high priest who represents us perfectly before God. You could not get a better advocate. If I'm going to face this throne, I'm glad that I don't have to face it alone. And if you are in Christ, what a wonderful gift that as we walk to this throne, you will not be alone, not for a moment. In fact, Jesus has promised us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to when? The very end of the age. And that Christ meets us there before the throne, and he is an incredible advocate. He understands our weakness, he, he empathizes with us, and he stands there, which is a wonderful thing. But we still have a problem. Even the best lawyer can't argue against the reality of guilt. If you're caught red-handed, even the best lawyer is not going to get you off. So how can Jesus help us before God's throne? You ever wondered that when you read this passage? Because I have. I read that first and I was like, well, that's awesome that I got the great lawyer and I'm still going to lose because God sees everything and I'm still guilty. First John 1-2, it says, well... He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's why he's a great advocate. And not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. He took care of all of them. And now it all becomes clear as to what in Hebrews is talking about. Why we can go to that throne boldly. Because it matters what throne we go to. 
See, the, the key to the throne room this week is, is this, that Jesus takes us through God's throne of, get this, grace. This is, this is a powerful concept. This is where he advocates for us before God. And now, most people have to go to God's throne of judgment, where they will have to bring all of their, their sins, all of their life, everything before God. But we're taken to the throne of grace, otherwise known as, well, the mercy seat. See, this is a picture, a representation of the Ark of the Covenant, which was not just in fancy adventurous movies, but a real thing. You see, when God called his people and he called them out of Egypt, and if you go to that wonderful class on Exodus, you're going to read all about it. He calls them into this and he says, you know what, there's got to be a way for you guilty people to be around a holy God. And he set up the priesthood and, and the laws and all of these things, but he also set up a sacrificial system. And part of that is he set up this tabernacle, which was a holy space, and only priests could go in there. And then even to go in there, they had to sacrifice, and then they had to go and have their sins washed off from them, from going into the mikvah. They had special clothing they had to wear that would make them holy enough to go and to minister before God. And then one day, once a year, the high priest, once he was fully ready, his sins had been atoned for himself, he would make atonement for all of the nation's sins. And he would go through the whole process and make himself holy, and he would bring in blood, right, with him, which was part of the, the sacrificial system. That sin required death, and so he would bring the sacrifice of blood into the very back room, which he was only to enter one time, once a year, and he would see this, which was the ark. And he would sprinkle that blood, and where would he sprinkle it? Well, he would sprinkle it right there in the middle between the cherubim. Hmm. And they call that place what? The mercy seat. Now, have you ever wondered why they call it a seat? Between the cherubim and underneath the manifest glory of God where he would sprinkle the blood? Well, because seats are where you sit. And this is not just a box with a lid. This here is a throne, which is why it's not just a mercy seat, this is a throne of where God is, is reigning, and so we know this as the throne of mercy. Also in the New Testament, it actually got upped a little bit, and in Hebrews, they talk about it as the throne of grace. See, mercy is not getting what we deserve. So the punishment, the pain, the, 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 the condemnation that we deserve for our sins, the mercy seat because of the blood that was shed there, there was a transaction that takes place at that throne that we don't get what we deserve. And in the New Testament, Jesus teaches us even more that not only does God not give us what we deserve, because we could go to the mercy seat and just be set just on square zero. Our debt's paid off. Good luck next year. Not really my children, but servants of God. And yet, when we go before that throne, our advocate is so fantastic. He not only has, a, has secured God's mercy for us, but God's grace where we receive what we don't deserve, which is more than just forgiveness of our sins, but also status in God's kingdom where we are adopted as his own children. This is a great place of transaction. You have a fantastic advocate. 
You go before God as those guilty and ready to be condemned, and you leave as his children at the throne of grace. It's an amazing place. So we find here, it says, how does that happen? Well, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. That Jesus not only brings us to the throne, he supplies what is necessary to secure that, to, to allow us to have that grace and that mercy. He brings his own blood before the throne. He's the high priest that is covered not just to advocate for us and to understand us, but to purchase our, our, our freedom from all of the sin, to purchase our, our innocence from all of the guilt. He did it all. And it's a sacrifice of atonement, which was part of the sacrificial systems, the system that God set up. So as our high priest, he, he, he helps us to receive everything, not just mercy, but God's grace. And so we recognize that in Hebrews, amazing truth, and I hope you get this aha, that Christ doesn't take us, brothers and sisters, to the throne of judgment. That instead, he takes us to the throne of grace. And that's where we find confidence to help us in our time of need. So let me illustrate this because I like illustrations. This whole series, we recognize that God exists in glory, right? He is a holy God. He is the creator. He is the authority. He sits over all of creation. Everything, even the, the demons and Satan himself, bow a knee before him. They can't do anything without his uh, power. His, all of creation stands with, with eyes even over our wings. We, even if we try to close our eyes, we can see that God exists and that he is as a holy and a good God, right? And because he is holy, he is perfect. Everything that God does is perfect. That's just the nature of who he is. And to be in God's presence because he's holy, we also need to be perfect. And so there is this bar of perfection that if you're going to be in the presence of this being so holy and good, you have to be perfect too because nothing corruptible can be around him. He is incorruptible. Well, God created people. And he made us holy first, right? He made us different than all of creation. And he set us about to, to rule this world and all that kind of things. But we are not God. And so in order to be with God, we need to be perfect, which is a kind of good. So how do we get to God? How do we have access? Well, not everything in this world is perfect. You will recognize that. And so there are some gateways. There are two thrones that have been set up. One is the throne of justice, and the other is the throne of grace. And you see both of them very clearly in Scripture, right? And so let's talk about how do we have access to God through the throne of justice that tests our perfection to make sure that only those who are perfect will be have, able to have access to God. Well, uh, you, you start there with that throne of justice is that it works like this. It works on the, the basis of works, right? So if we want to have uh, access to God, we have to have perfect action. And if you live your life perfectly, all of your works are perfect, you are not corrupted in any way, you can go through the throne of justice just fine, stroll right through, and God says, not guilty, you're in, and you have access to God, which is a great thing. But it has to test it. It's a throne, and there's justice that has to take place. So we go through this throne of justice on the basis of our works, right? And works are things that we do, all of your actions. This throne looks at how did you live. Were you a just person or an unjust person? Now, 
Jesus then gives us a little bit deeper, and he says, it's not just the works of the body, but also the works of the heart. So if you have hated somebody, might as well commit murder. If you lusted after somebody, might as well commit adultery, right? So it's, we have to be absolutely thoroughly perfect in our thoughts and our actions. This would be our works. Now, like most of us, we have more than one work. There's more than one thing that we do in life, right? Which is why Jesus said we have to give an account for every little word even that we speak. So all of the things that you ever do are laid out before this throne of justice, right? Every single thing that we do. And if it all stacks up, everything is perfect and you have perfect action in your life. It doesn't matter the number of works, but the perfection of how you've lived. If, you have, if you're perfect, access to God, no problem, which is great. Well, all of those works have to be examined. There is a system or there is a standard by which God has set up, right? His, his standard, and he sets it out, and it, that's his moral law. And his moral law is how those works are judged. If they match what God told us to do, every single one of them, every idle word, every little action, every little feeling, everything will be examined. And if according to God's moral law, you are flawless, access to God. Um, but we have a problem. Okay, and, and that problem is as we go through that, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not perfect, right? Sin came into this world and infected all of us, put a stain on us, and it put a stain in us that gave us this nature that we would be drawn to do things that aren't perfect, that would be contradictory to God's moral law. We even violate God's moral law sometimes when we think we're being moral, right? We do what's right in our own eyes, but it's wrong in God's eyes. So we think we're all moral, and we're not. And so what happens is it's not just that we have become corrupted, but our works have become corrupted. And even if it was just one work that God's moral law found, one wrong emotion, wrong attitude, one wrong action, we no longer have perfect action, which bars us at the throne of grace from having access to God. But remember, this is not just a gateway, it's a throne. And so it's not just that you have access one way. Thrones have contingencies. If we are not able to be with God as we go through this throne, well, uh, and by the way, we have more than one bad thing in our life. I know that we do. Then it kicks off then the second thing. If you have imperfect action, which is also known as sin, sin means missing the mark, it's imperfect action, that kicks off a different way. Not only do we lack access to God, we lose access to God permanently, right? So all of those works, as they're being examined, will be brought over and for every thoughtless word, for every thoughtless action, for every little sin, every single one of those gets stacked up as well. And this is a throne of judge justice. And justice requires perfect punishment, right? Perfect punishment for what our sins. So our punishment needs to match the crime, exactly. And all of those sins will be added up. And that's not only do we lack access to God when you go before the throne, but then also then you have to pay the punishment for every sin, every one. And God has created a place for that, and it is the lake of fire. God calls it the eternal death. It's an eternal, awful place. Um, and that judgment may seem over the top to us, but God who is perfect in his justice, that is a perfect, just place. So they lose access to God forever because actions are imperfect. And not only do we not get to God, but we get separated from him forever. 
the throne of justice is a terrifying place. And all of humanity who goes before that throne, because all of humanity have sinned, will end up in the lake of fire, the eternal death. That's a pretty scary throne to go before. And even if you have a great advocate, a great lawyer, that great lawyer can't undo the fact that every one of your works (laughs) that have been flawed are still flawed. This is why it's so good that there's a different way. And this is why it's so good that we can come to the different throne, which is the throne of grace. So let me show you how this works. It's a little nicer, I think you think. Instead of perfect action, the throne of grace requires a perfect sacrifice. You sin, but the, but the law that, uh, th- that this is based upon, which is uh, God's sacrificial law, says if you're going to be saved from sin, you have to have a perfect sacrifice. It's got to be blameless, it's got to be flawless, it's got to be absolutely perfect. You can't just bring anything before God as sacrifice. It's got to be perfect, absolutely perfect. And there are two things that are required in this law in order for us to have a perfect sacrifice. And the first one is that, well, we have to have faith. We're going to enter this on the basis of faith. But the two things are blood, right? You've got to have a death. That's where the sacrifice is. And you also have to have, in addition to the blood, that you're going to have to have a high priest to bring that on your behalf. Because you, before the sacrifice is accepted, are not holy and unworthy to go before God's throne of grace. So you couldn't bring, even if you had a perfect sacrifice, you couldn't bring it. So you have to have, you have to have blood that is perfect. The sacrifice has got to match the crime. It's got to be acceptable to God. And you have to have somebody who's worthy before God to bring it before him. And so this is what's so cool, right? As, as we look in this under God's sacrificial law, we recognize that Jesus' blood... And Jesus, as our high priest, match both of those in perfection. Where the, where the blood of bulls and goats were never actually able to pay for sin, they were just able to, by faith, the people, you know, they were accepted by God to kind of roll up their sin, give them grace for a period of time. The penalty of sin is death, right? Human death. And how could we pay for our sin? And here's the thing. I've sinned more than once. Probably you too. And if the punishment and the sacrifice has to equal the, the, the crime, how can we ever even, I can only give my one life for one sin. How would I ever be able to atone for what I've done before God, which is why the lake of fire is eternal. And I've committed more than two sins, and I imagine you have too. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice is that he did not sin. He is the Lamb of God set apart. He did this. He accepted that. When he died on a cross, it wasn't just that Jesus died in his humanity, which gave him the ability to pay for it since he had the right currency, but he also had the deep enough pockets. See, Jesus doesn't just have one life. He is also fully God, which means he has infinite life, eternal life, not just one life. Which is why Jesus was able to not just pay for one of my sins. Like if you had a perfect person who'd never sinned, but Jesus wasn't God, and he died on a cross, he'd be able to die for one person, one sin. Wouldn't even save that person. But he was able to pay for infinite sins. That is pretty powerful. That's a pretty perfect sacrifice. And I know about you, but I haven't sinned infinitely. Not quite yet. In fact, not all of humanity has sinned infinitely. 
Not even yet. We lack the capacity to because we are limited, which is why God accepted that sacrifice. But have you ever gone to, I don't know, a store, whatever, and do some Christmas shopping? And you go and you buy like a stocking stuffer. It's like $10 and, and you have a 20 and you give them that 20. What do they do? They give you your stocking stuffers and then they give you your change back because that's justice and you get $10 back. Well, here's a cool thing is that Jesus made a sacrifice of his life. It was an infinite life to cover infinite number of sins, but there was an infinite sins. And it covered all those sins. And so you take infinity and then you, sacrifice, and you subtract all of the sins of all of humanity. And if you subtract all of that out of infinity, what do you end up with? Infinity minus anything is still infinity. The infinite life of Christ, the eternal life of Christ was, was not diminished in the slightest, which is why it was a necessity that God, he refunded and he, he gave Jesus a change back. He rose again. He didn't stay dead. It was the evidence that he had the capacity to pay for all of my sins, past, present, future, all the sins of the world. You can't outsend the sacrifice, and yet Jesus is still undiminished. It's perfect sacrifice. He is enough. And he's the only one who could, because there's never been a person who came to this earth who not only claimed to be God, but demonstrated and proved that he was in his actions and his teachings and the prophecies and all of those things, but also by raising again from having the sacrifice. He is God. It is amazing. We have enough. And the evidence is there. But he's not just the sacrifice. He's also the perfect high priest. He would have done us no good if Jesus died on the cross, paid for all of our sins, and we didn't have a high priest to bring that sacrifice. Can you imagine how sad that would be? This is why God sent one who was better than the other high priest. And he didn't just bring this to an earthly throne. He was able to go right to God's throne in heaven and to bring him the sacrifice from that mighty mercy seat and say, it is paid for, it is finished. And that sacrifice was accepted because Jesus was flawless. He was already perfect. He could go to the holy throne room of God to make that transaction on our behalf, and he decided to do it. In fact, it brought him great joy. So, on the basis of faith, then, something amazing happens. Instead of having our works be added up and checked, on the basis of faith, and we go before God, our sin is transferred to the sacrifice, and we are made holy once again. And as perfect, God doesn't just lead us to the throne of grace. He leads us right through the throne of grace so that we have access again to our heavenly Father, which is why this wonderful passage, we can let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you ever wondered what you should be thankful for this week, be thankful for that. That Jesus didn't take you before the throne of judgment. We will never have to go there, brothers and sisters. Isn't that wonderful? Every sin has been paid for. Every idle word, every wrong thought, every little thing you've done in your past, your present, your future, covered. And God has taken you to the throne of grace so you don't have to go through the throne of judgment. Aren't you grateful? And you have access to God. And so what do we do with this? How do we apply this wonderful truth? I mean, if you had a bad week, you have a good eternity. 
right? If you've been struggling and you've been facing difficulty and hardship in this life, even persecution and hard things, this throne is enough. It's more than enough. What joy could we possibly have that, that we have now access to God, not just now, but forever, not based upon what we do so we can't mess it up, but what has been done. And it brings Christ great joy to bring us through it, even knowing our weakness. We have access to God. Well, here's some things on your connection card. I want you to take some steps through this throne. I want you to, to access God. This is the invitation. What a waste would it be for us to have all of this covered for us and say, no, nope, I'd rather do the throne of, of justice. Thank you very much. What? <laughs> so for us, look at this. First thing I want you to do, memorize Hebrews 4.16. Because the devil is always telling you, God doesn't want to listen to you. You're not good enough. You're too messed up. Right? You've done all these bad things. You should be ashamed. You should be like Isaiah say, oh, woe is me. I'm not a holy man. You have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. When you feel like God has forgotten you, like you are small and insignificant, know this, the God of eternity who understands you and empathizes with you came to this world so you could be saved. He loves you that much. And not only that, he didn't just give you mercy, he gave you grace and the right to be called God's child. He loves you deeply. That you are not insignificant. That he crafted you perfectly for great works in this world. He has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. So approach that throne boldly, with confidence, regardless of how you feel because your advocate is there advocating for you. Memorize this. Put it on your heart, your mind, so you will never be separated from the power and the goodness and the glory of God. He has done it all. As you memorize that, maybe you want to do is read the rest of Hebrews. It's a pretty fantastic book. I mean, you want some good news this week to be thankful for? Be thankful that our God is better than angels. And he's better than the legal system. And he's better than the law. And he's better than, than the, the high priest. And he's better for all these wonderful things. He's better than even them. That whom we follow and whom we serve is fantastic. Read Hebrews. You're going to have time. You get some time off of work. Do it. How about this? Accept mercy. And maybe that's where you are. You've been holding yourself down and condemning yourself for things that you've done that were wrong. That, that you've messed up. That doesn't surprise God. Okay, he knows. He sees. He empathizes. He has brought the payment to the mercy seat. Receive it. Forgive yourself. Let it go. God didn't expect you to, to somehow just be perfect out of the gate. That's why he came. He knew you weren't going to be, but he's going to perfect you. So maybe this week... You take those shortcomings that you feel that you have and you place them into the hands of your advocate. You receive the mercy of God. Maybe that's what you do this week. Do that hard work of forgiveness and forgiving yourself. But maybe what you need to do this week is take that to the next step and receive grace. Not just understand that God has forgiven you, he loves you, right? But that next thing that he's called you his children and he's made you his heirs and he's called you not just that, but his hands and feet, his body of Christ, that you have been given good works to do in this world so that the rest of humanity can see how great our God is. Receive his grace. It's not based upon who you are, how worthy you are, but how worthy he is, and he's making you worthy. Receive that grace. To know that when you go before God's throne, he's not upset. He's not like, well, who, the, who are you, little servant? He cares about you. 
He embraces you. He loves you deeply. Receive grace. Just receive it. And if you're here this morning and you've never received God's grace and mercy at that throne of grace, that you've, right now, you have all those sins and you're going to have to advocate for yourself before the throne of justice, this morning I'm going to invite you to make Jesus your king because he'll become your advocate as well. And he'll become your sacrifice and your high priest. He's going to take you that alternate route through the throne of grace that you don't have to face the justice of God, that the justice of God will be fulfilled in Christ so you can have access to God through grace and mercy. If you need to do that, don't leave today before you do this. That you need to accept Jesus as your king. It says in scripture that, that anybody who calls upon in the name of the Lord will be saved. That we receive this grace on the basis of our faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we're going to express that in our belief, in our confession, our repentance, and baptism, our discipleship. There's ways that you do it. This is why you need a church family. But if you need to make Jesus your king, don't leave today. Come talk with me, and we will help you take those first steps into that amazing throne room, boldly and with confidence, that throne room of grace. And for all of us, I will invite us, if you haven't have got anything else going on this evening, well, if you do, cancel it. Join us for our communion celebration because this is where we come together as the people of God to celebrate and give thanks for this sacrifice, this throne together, not just for this little church, but for all of the churches. So join us there at 630 tonight and let's celebrate the freedom and the goodness and the joy that we have in the grace and mercy of Christ. What I'd like you to do, I'm going to give you a moment and take those commitments. I've given you something hopefully to do. Let me know what it is so I can pray for you this week. I'll support you. Put your prayer request on that connection card. Drop that connection card in the offering basket. One good tithes and gifts. And I don't just want you to drop those in just for you, but it also, when you drop that connection card in there, you know what? Faithfulness is caught as much as it's taught. And there are some people who are just a little hesitant. And if you drop your connection card and you're letting other people know that it's safe to actually follow Jesus, to take a next step, to encourage one another, and so take, I would like all of us, just let God know what we're going to do this week. Let me know how I can pray for you, right? And let's together this week approach that throne of grace with thanksgiving. Let me pray for you as you make your commitments. Father God, you are powerful and good and you're mighty and you're righteous. Lord, all of that is wonderful except for it's terrifying because we're none of those things. But we're grateful, Lord, that you didn't just set up a throne of justice for us to approach you through, that you set up a throne of grace, a mercy seat. Father, that, that you've brought the sacrifice for us, that you, you've been our high priest, that's been accepted, and you give us confidence to approach you boldly so that we can receive your help in our time of need. Father, I pray for this congregation that you would bless us again with a fresh joy, the reminder of, of the access that we have before you in this week before we begin our celebration of Advent. Let us, Father, be blessed just one more time, the reminder that you didn't just come, but you accomplished. Let us live in that this week. May your grace and mercy not just be something that is set to our heart, but also just overflow over us, and especially this week as we have opportunity to be around friends and neighbors and family members who don't know you. Lord, that we have the most of all reason to be thankful and we're grateful to you. May that gratitude be evident to all so that you could receive glory. Father, for these commitments that we make today, take them. Father, use them. Grow us closer to you in your likeness and in relationship and love. Father, use our, our offerings as well to build your kingdom for your glory. You, you, Lord, alone are worthy. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray.